At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Today, live streaming on Facebook Live, we have Brock Blazcheck on. Thanks for being on here, brother. No problem, brother. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's really, always, honestly, really good initiative. Well, I appreciate that. It's um, unfortunately born out of necessity because yeah. there's, there's a lot of gaps out there uh, for continuation of care. And yeah. uh, now, the the reason that uh, you got thrust into fame, that famous clip uh, of um, our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at the town hall, and you asked him a simple question. You just asked him, why are you fighting our veterans in court? Now, uh, let's start there. Um, what what fighting was going on in court that uh, that you were referring to in that question? Oh, there's the Equitas Society that was going on and stuff like that. That was the big one at the time. Um, you know, so I, I, I really, especially after he promised, and that was a big reason why I actually voted for him. You know, I know shocking and Alberta voted for a liberal. <laughs> I, you know, live and learn, I guess. Don't ever trust a liberal. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's... Uh, I just, I just got tired of it. I got tired of Veterans Affairs, you know, treating us as, as an insurance company. And at the time, I was doing really good. At the time, I was working up at Fort Mac. I was making mad money, right? But you know, a lot of it, I, I, I had a lot of friends commit suicide because they fell through the cracks. You know, so I was just, you know, like, it was like what? At, what was that? Twenty six. What was it, 2016, 2017? Or no, it was 2018 I did that, wasn't it? Actually, I don't know. I think it was 2018. So by that time, we were done the war, I think, like five, six years at that point, or eight years. You know, because when did we finish combat missions? Like 2009, 2011. So, and then 2014 was our last, 2013, I think, 2012. Somewhere around that time frame. So it was like, the war ended, like, well, five, six years by then, you know, and it was still, you know, I was still losing friends, you know, so that, that's really why I I did a lot of it, you know, it just, you know, I was kind of making him eat his own words type thing, you know, kind of like, hey, you promised us something better, but it's not getting any better. Yeah, that was one of the things uh, he says, I'm not going to be fighting veterans in court. And I remember when he said that in the debates, and I thought, oh, well, I'm still not going to vote for you, but I kind of like that, <laughs> you know, point point, yeah. point for you. And Well, it worked for me, man. You know, he yeah. had the montage of veterans in the background with all their medals and stuff like that, all those MPs that served, you know. And it was it was really good political political thing. It worked for me, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't make good on it. No, well, it's better. Yeah, I will give him credit. It's it's a lot better than what it used to be. It is, you know. I agree, but, actually. You know, at the same time, too, you know, a half promise isn't fulfilling your promise. You know, um, you know, and then and then there was especially for the fact with the with with the Omar Cotter thing. 
You know, that was like right afterwards. That's a you kick know, in the nuts. I, I felt pretty upset and felt pretty betrayed by that. You know, and, you know, he was worried about, you know, losing $40 million of, of legal fees in court. But, you know, you want to know how much he spent on us fighting in court? What is that number? $40 million. Oh, God. He backed up. I think the CBC or, or the National Post or somebody put out an article on it. And it was $40 million. Fighting veterans. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, uh, at the end of the day, did the veterans win in that fight? Uh, the federal court basically decided not to hear the Equitas argument once, once I think, the B.C. Supreme Court shut it down. What were so, they asking for in that lawsuit? Hmm? What were they asking for in that lawsuit? I think they were asking for, um, uh, they were asking for a pension equal to or better than than the old system, but I think a lot of it would, for myself, a lot of it was just for the simple fact that Veterans Affairs was acting like an insurance company when they should be a service. They are a service. It's not they should be. They are. They're just choosing to act like an insurance company. Does make sense. The um, the lifetime pension did end up coming back anyway, so they blew forty million bucks for nothing. Yeah, but there's still there's a version still other, of it anyway. There's still discrepancies to it, you know. Like I, I think the whole veterans affairs to begin with is is a mess to begin with. Um, you know, yeah, the the pension or the systems they have in place with IRB um, and all that stuff, very generous. I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, before I confronted, you know, the whole Justin Trudeau town hall. Even though I lost a leg, I wouldn't have been entitled to anything. Yeah. You know, and then I, it changed after that. It all changed after after everything like that happened. You know, but, you know, there, there's like, you know, why, why do we need to go through a review board when we're entitled to it to begin with? You know, why doesn't when you're 100% disabled by their numbers count you as like grade one? For disability pensions, why do you have to meet all this extra criteria? If you're 100 percent disabled, you're 100 percent disabled. You know, and that's by their numbers. Yeah. So, you know, um, I have, you know, there's there's just, you know, a lot of issues that need to be worked out. You know, it's better, yes, but there's still a lot of things that need to be worked out. When he said to you. We're fighting veterans in court because they are asking for more than we can give. I've been asked, uh, although this is the first time you and I have properly met, I've been asked, like, what was that like for you to, to, to hear? Or what, what do you think that would have been like for Brock? What was it like for you? Like, when, when he said well, what he said that, like, did, was it a slap in the face or did you look at it differently? Well, when it first very happened, I looked over to the cameras right away and I was like, we got that. That's, this is live, right? <laughs> you know, they can't edit this out. This is live. And then and then it was just kind of, I don't know. I think once it settled in what he said, it goes to the question, you know, okay, I'm, you know, we're, we're asking or I'm asking, you know, the government to hold up its end of the deal, you know, but... 
you know, I'm asking too much. You know, at the same time, what the fuck was asked of me? You know, what was asked of my friends in Afghanistan? You know, and then this kind of plays into the, to, to the question now of what we're seeing Afghanistan turn into. You know, like uh, I was talking to my therapist the other week, you know, and it was kind of one of those things, you know, that dealing with the hassle of Veterans Affairs, you know, at least I, if I knew little girls were going to be able to go to school, at least I could sit back and be like, hey, at least I did something worth it. You know, so now, you know, we're in this kind of thing where the free world's turning its back and, and walking away. And, you know, it's, it's a big thing that I got to work out in my head, you know, so. One of the common themes is, and it's believed to be true. And I, (laughs) I've seen it to be true is that claims tend to get denied once or twice before they're finally approved. Uh, yeah. Have you, uh, even with you, you lost a leg and a half, you know. Um, yeah. Did you have any problems getting claims through? Oh, when all you're- the time. You know, caregiver allowance for my wife for putting up with my crazy shit. You know, like my wife, my wife, especially dealing with an amputee, it's not like... Even though, like, I, I, I think I have conquered my physical injuries pretty well. You know, I have conquered them fairly well. You know, there's still things that my wife has to deal with that not a lot of couples have to deal with. You know, she has to see me put my leg on every morning, and then when I stand up, you know, kind of give a sharp grunt to kind of deal with the first bit of pain until I start walking. You know, she has to, you know, see me, you know, in constant joint pain all the time not really knowing what to help, plus with the night terrors I have, you know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot our caregivers deal with, you know, and, you know, it, it still, like, took to the point where, you know, like, <laughs> they called us the day before they approved us, and this is the type of games where it really upsets me about Veterans Affairs because it's just a game at the end of the day, you know, and there's no point, there's no need for it. You know, so they called me the day before they approve it. And first day, like, pretty much were like, well, we think you should get uh, home care by the province to come in because it's free, free through the province. So I kind of said, oh, so you're passing the buck on to the province. Is that what you're doing? And I oh, no, no, no. We just thought we should let you know. And then, you know, my wife took the phone and she played it out to him. She said, well, you know, I'm already, you know, a qualified health care aide, you know, so if you're willing to get home care in for him from the province, you might as well pay me. I'll divorce him. You can pay me nineteen fifty an hour, and, and you know, he's not going to let anybody else in because I'm the only one he trusts. So, you know, good luck with that. You know, and they tried, well, you know, we think you're having through caregiver burnout, and then my wife kind of threw it in their face that you don't even recognize her as one. So next day it was approved. But it was still a fight. Yeah, it was a game. It's yeah. a game. You know, it's 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 like, you know those, like, I like to refer to, like, the stupid military games you play, like, especially during battle school, you know, the mind games yeah. that are not needed, but they're still there. You know, that's, that's, that's you know, what, what I find Veterans Affairs still likes to play. 
why do you think that is? I think it all comes down to bonuses for managers in Charlottetown. The less they give, the more they get bonused? Well, they're federal union workers, right? So in the in the federal union contractor, which is in the collective agreement, you know, and, and don't believe me, I, I believe workers should have should should have employee employee representation. I, I'm even a big proponent for the military to unionize. You know, but you know, it uh so it, it it's it's in their right to. That's that's what their collective agreement is. What what I don't agree with though is Knowingly not letting a veteran know what he's entitled to, you know, putting the onus on the veteran, knowing that they're already physically broken in the exact situation they're in the day they signed up. It's just, you know, years later and you're just more broken, you know? And it's impossible to keep fucking track anyway. Um, I mean, all the different programs, they change names and and they twist around and it gets flipped on its head every other Tuesday, you yeah, know? And, so you, I, I, I don't know what the current programs are. And shit, I've got this show with 120 some odd episodes. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's so hard to navigate. I don't think anybody knows how to navigate. I don't even think they know how to navigate it themselves no. half the time. You know, and this is this is this is part of the problem. You know, this is the issue of them acting as if they're it's an insurance company when, you know, their benefits and entitlement that we have earned. Period. So, so tell me more about acting like it's an insurance company. Like what does that mean to you? To me it's knowingly knowingly choosing to not give information or to make a system so utterly confusing to that it that it's hard to pay out, you know, pinning pinning the onus onto the veteran instead of, you know, acting as a service and treating the veteran as a client or as a patient, you know, that you're 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 treating them more as just a customer. Seeing if you have the ability to jump through the hoops or not, and if you don't, then you don't get your claim. Exactly. If you don't have the mental fortitude or if you just are so broken down, you just, you don't got a whole lot of fight in you left, you know, it's, 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 and that's how a lot of people leave, you know, it's, it's taking advantage of of vulnerable people and it's wrong. Do you know that uh, of, uh, personally of, of people that should be asking for help, but it was just too much hassle so that they're not getting the help? Oh, tons, tons, more than most, well, more, more than I would like to admit. You know, it's 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 not fair. It's it's wrong. I see it all the time. It's even with myself. I'm uh, going for a reassessment next week, and I'm shitting my pants because yeah. uh, it's 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 like this uh, six or eight hour rectal probe. You know, um, it's so invasive, and yeah. uh, I am not looking forward to it. But no. it's a hoop that they make you do. And oh. and they don't do it in a way that's comfortable for you. Yeah. They, they, you, know, you got to do it the way that they want you to do it. And fuck you. Well, <laughs> you know? you say things in certain ways. Yeah. You don't say things in certain ways. You, you're not entitled to things. You know, and this is that's that's the game. You know, and it's it's so like the 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 extra stress that causes to people. It's it's you know it should be just simply all right. Well, this is your disability. What we calculate you at. This is your percentage we calculate you at. You know, if you want a chance to appeal it, appeal it. 
but this is your percentage, and then this is the grade you're entitled to, and it all is based on that percentage. You know, it shouldn't matter if you're missing four limbs or so mentally crippled that if you're 100%, you're 100%. An injury is an injury. You know, that's 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 all there is to it. You know, it should be it should be simply cut and dry. You know, and it shouldn't they shouldn't like have things different with RCMP and everything like that. You know, sir, federal service is federal service. You've been volunteering at the Veterans Association Food Bank. The people that you've met there, the things that you've seen, uh, the stories that you're getting. Why do you believe there's um, a necessity for a veteran-specific food bank? Well, we're the ones that understand each other the most. We're the ones that, you know, that, you know, don't, we would, you know, we know we're the type of people that would rather starve than to, to feel like we're a burden onto somebody or to feel like we're failing in some way. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and a lot of times like that, it's usually only your brothers and sisters that could be like, hey, swallow your silly pride. It's getting you nowhere. You know, pride is good, but, you know, when, when it affects you and it starts harming you, you know, then it just becomes silly. You know, and I think, you know, really at the end of the day, I think it's only veterans that understand that. You know, and I think, you know, having something like the food bank, which is, you know, for the most part, led initially by by veterans, you know, especially up here in Edmonton, I find I find we, we help a lot of people that have fallen through the cracks, you know. Is there a uh, service officer at uh, the food bank in Edmonton? Uh, we have we have a veterans assistance group, our veterans affairs assistance group. So we have some people that kind of have kind of worked out through the system and can, you know, offer some suggestions and stuff like that on how to better improve your benefits and stuff like that. The service officers at the legions is probably the best part of the legion. And um, what people I don't think fully understand is that Veterans Affairs is so freaking convoluted. And as you talked about before, like when you have PTSD, you are so overwhelmed. Paperwork is just fucking can't do it. And uh, what's simple for anybody else, like what? You just fill this out. It's no big deal. It's like, it's completely overwhelming and you can't do it. I can't do it. You know? And I, I like to refer to it as the bullshit cup. Bullshit cup. You okay. know, you, everybody has this cup and it all varies in different sizes in their mind. And eventually, you know, it has, it's so much full, it's so full of bullshit that any little amount of bullshits afterwards that gets added to that, it overflows, you know, you know, and that's the thing, you know, by the time most of us leave the military, you know, especially if we leave for medical reasons, you know, and then let's, let's be honest, 99% of us, that's what we ultimately leaving, whether it's deciding to just finish your career and sucking it up or whatever, you know, you don't come out of service the same, you know, no. so, you know, it's, it's just that most of us, we come out with our bullshit cup and every little bit, it's just, it's too much. In one of the pieces I wrote, I said that nobody ever truly comes home from war. Do you agree with that? No, I don't think so. I also I also see war as kind of almost a spiritual thing as well. I see battle as a very spiritual thing. So no, so you think people do truly come home from war, or you don't think anybody no, comes home? No, I don't think people truly come. I people come back. 
physically. Oh, lost you. Oh, great. Oh, you're back. Oh, sorry. Hey, sorry. Timed Somebody out. Called me. Oh, okay. It's all good. Yeah, here, let, me, let me fix this here quick. Uh, let's <laughs> do that. There we go. Do not disturb. There. All right. There you go. Yeah. So you 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 believe that nobody comes home from war? You you agree with that? No, then? no, and I think I think it makes such an impact on on one person's soul, especially. Um, there's a lot of awakening, and there's a lot of realization, and there's a lot of understanding, you know. But with that, there's also a lot of pain, you know. Like, how can I worry? This? I I. I I don't believe a person can truly grow unless they experience pain to get that growth. You know, and that's why I see combat as, as very spiritual. You know, you know, I don't think, like, the people I, I served with in my section and my platoon and combat and stuff like that, I don't think I'll have a more truly, I guess, loving sense of relationship where it's all just give, you know, where it doesn't matter if I get anything in the end of that relationship. And I believe, I believe everybody I served with also kind of has that same feeling when it comes to each other. There's a extra bond, Brock, uh, of the people that you're actually in the shit with. And uh, tomorrow I'm going for a little, uh, a round of golf. We're doing it every year of guys that I was in Croatia with, like in the same platoon. And nice. I mean, I got out, that tour was 1994. And yet the love that we have for each other is, um, and one of us is dying, unfortunately, um, cancer. But um, the the bond of that, of being in the same place, the same platoon, in that same <laughs> frickin' jittle, which is actually a beautiful, beautiful country, just at the time, you know, it was, it was yeah. bombed to smithereens, right? Afghanistan's beautiful in its own way too. I'm sure it is. You know, I'm, I'm sure it is, but, um, that awakening that you talk about, it doesn't happen for all of us. You know, I know so many people that saw the same thing, but had different takeaways. They had a different interpretation of what they saw and, and what the greater realization means, you know, you know what I mean, Brock? Yeah, no, I, I'm totally picking up what you're putting down, brother. You know, and yeah, I I, I feel that. I, I feel like, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people see it the way I do, but, you know, you're probably actually one of the first, actually. <laughs> but it is. To me, to me, to me, human, humans have evolved on war. You know, that has always dictated our next stage in evolution and everything like that. So, to me, there, there's something about it, you know, and... and you know, being in such a primal state and everything like that, you know, it's just, to me, it was it was quite a spiritual awakening, you know. It sucked, you know. There was really good times, too. Don't get me wrong. Really, really good times. I had a lot of fun, you know. But, uh, you know, I have to say, I, I, I wouldn't take it back in the, any bit. That's the weirdest thing, and I, I and I don't even know if I have an explanation for why that is. You know, I lost uh, 25 good earning years uh, because of PTSD because I didn't know I had it. And yeah. uh, what a freaking mess. <laughs> I, 
I was walking around for 10 years with a missing leg in complete denial that, you know, I was fucked up, you know, and I was missing pieces. Yeah. You know, I, I tried working up north. I tried working on the patch, you know, and everything like that. I tried, you know, doing, you know, once I got into, managed, like, hardcore management at, like, a shop where you spend, like, 20 years at, you know, that's that's what I finally broke. Once I realized I could spend 20 years in the same desk, it was like, I couldn't do it. So tell me about the, the, the work environment, what it was like for you, because you didn't, um, uh, or you knew that you had, you, you, you at least had the diagnosis. You knew that you had PTSD as well as a missing leg, right? Yeah. But how did that affect you in the workplace and ability to function as an employee, or, or did you, do you think it affected you? I had to prove myself. There was definitely times where they were very cautious. Um, I think my first shift up there, I originally started up there as a laborer, even though I had all my health and safety tickets. I started up there as a laborer, um, working night shift. And I remember the night shift supervisor, he kind of said, look, man, like, I don't want to put any offense to you, but, uh, you know, we're going to put you on day shift. And, uh, you know, because I don't want anything to happen to you and then, and then get yelled at because, you know, I had the guy with one leg in the hole, right? <laughs> so, you know, there was a bit of that. Um, you know, when I got the day shift, they kind of tapped me on some duty for a while, you know, and that, like, that was brutal. That was like doing OP for, like, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day. For our civilian listeners, OP is an observation post. Where, yeah. uh, we called them the hot dog stands when we were on our peacekeeping tour. So you, yeah. you sit and watch while bombs are going off, basically. Yeah, pretty much. And that's, that's what it was like. It was, it, was, it was pretty brutal, and it wasn't until I had a foreman that actually, uh, until I basically begged him and said, look, man, can you, like, come on, get me to work. And then it turned out, like, I worked a lot harder than some of the guys up there, but, you know, and then eventually I was able to make my way into safety pro into the safety, safety department. And then I did safety coordinator for about a year and a half up there, you know, where I did pretty good. I, I, I specialized in um, behavioral sciences for safety. So, you know, it was, it was pretty good. It was a good go. Did you have any chat, any challenges with temper or conflict? Honestly, with construction, it was it was a different beast. I felt construction was very much like the military, right? It okay. was about just getting there, getting the job done, right? People are just there to make money, and that's all they care about. You know, the unfortunate thing with construction, it just wasn't stable. You know, you're working yourself out of a job day one, right? So, you know, but I, I enjoyed it because there was always something different, you know, which I found with the military. In the military, there was always that one thing to look forward to every year you know, or a couple weeks down the road or whatever like that, right? Whatever course, exchange, right? Even exercises, you know. Circling back to the town hall, uh, you were thrust into fame, which you were probably not expecting. And uh, (laughs) what was that like for you? Like, was the phone just, like, were people just beating down the door to get you on uh, for interviews and stuff? Um... Yeah, like, it didn't really settle in until the next morning when I started seeing memes coming in. <laughs> I think the first one was one of those Thug Life memes. Yeah. You know, the Drop the Mic Thug, thug Life ones. And then, uh, and then yeah, the phone just started going off. The Facebook started going off. It was a, it was a nightmare, you know. Were you regretting it at that time? It was like, just leave me alone? 
Um, not totally. I kind of relished in it for a little bit, and then yeah. at the same time, I was just kind of like, I don't really like this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, they asked me, and they, of course, because it was a political thing. And I think maybe that's what it was. You know, I just instantly got surrounded by politicians and everything like that. Um, political type people. Um, they asked me to run for as an MP for the Conservative Party in Strathcona County, um, which I thought was pretty funny. You know, like, when they first offer it, my, my wife first said that, you know, I wasn't allowed to go out and play that day. Um... And then I kind of sat down with that. The, I guess they have boards and stuff like that, electoral boards for each party, for each for each uh, candidate type thing. And the president, it was for the university area in Edmonton that they wanted me to run for. The only NDP riding in all of Alberta. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of looked at it when I was there. Well, you guys know, like, I totally robbed Ford the shit out of this. Like, I probably, you probably catch me, like, smoking crack with the homies and figure <laughs> out them. <laughs> you know, so they, they didn't really like that answer too much. So they were just like, oh, maybe we'll not. Just, you know, put you on a board. And then, you know, I went out to Halifax to the Conservative Party convention, right, where I did a speech. And then my speech got bounced around because Doug Ford wanted more time and then Jason Kenny wanted more time. So, you know you know, I ended up ending up doing my speech. It was supposed to be like the evening speech, which was great because it would have been like forty five hundred people. You know. And then So much for respect from the politicians that uh oh, uh yeah. they, they, wave, they wave the I love veterans flag, but it's you know, when it's when it's real, there they are putting you they're putting you in the corner. Oh yeah. And then and then they ended up pushing my speech to like eight o'clock in the morning the next day on like Sunday or something. Okay. <laughs> they, they put rock in the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know Jody Minnick? What's that? Do you know Jody Minnick? Have you met him? Yeah. Well, I met Jody once before on an army run. After when that was the same army run, I jacked up the CDS actually as a corporal, but you know, highlight of my career. Okay, well, we're gonna stop right there. Uh, <laughs> you jacked up the chief of defense staff as a corporal. Tell me about oh, yeah. that. He deserved it, I'm sure he did. But oh my god, week. what was Mark, it about? I was on a roll that week, I jacked up a colonel, <laughs> yeah. I jacked up the CDS. I jacked up a captain at the battalion like three weeks later. I was on a roll. You know, so uh, where should we start? Should I start, start with, start the, with the CDS? What was that about? Jacked him up oh, for what? So, so for, I was a soldier on event. So like basically they had us out there like the week before the army run. I think this was like 2012 or 2011. You know, I was also really hopped up of Percocets and Oxys, so I didn't give a fuck what anybody thought, right? So, <laughs> so, you, so you'd already lost the leg at this point. I already lost the leg at this point. Yeah. So we're doing the Soldier On event, and basically they're just, like, beasting us with PT for, like, eight hours a day for, like, a whole week. It was brutal. You know, all these wounded, missing limb dudes and shit like that just being beasted with PT. 
you know, and then, like, the guy at Soldier Hunt was this guy. Anyway, so forget his name. He, he be, ended up becoming one of the head dudes there anyways. And he goes, like, you may not be able to serve your country in barrel anymore, but you could serve your country in the Olympics. You know, and I'm sitting there, like, dude, like, at this time, too, I was also a little more fatter at this point in time, kind of giving up on life a bit. And um, I'm all like, man, if I wanted to be a goddamn athlete, I would have became an athlete. I would have joined the Army. And this shit wouldn't have happened. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of really setting the mood for the whole week. Anyway, so this one was the day before the run with the colonel. This was Colonel Blake. This guy was a moron. Anyway, so he decided to have a P, P, uh, CO, uh, CO power hour. And uh, because he was like the national CO, CO of all the JPSU in, in Canada. So um, he comes out and goes like, we're here for you guys, you know. Um, anything that you guys need, you know, you know, we'll, we'll bring it up right now and we'll see what we can do. So, you know, me being me, I, I raised my hand and, uh, he goes like, yeah, you, I was the first guy too, first and only guy for the CL power hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of raised my hand and I, I kind of go like corporate blast jack fighting dying troop of one PBCLI. Um, sir, where the fuck's my wheelchair, reimburse- my wheelchair lift reimbursement? Because I just bought a house at that time, and I had to put a wheelchair lift in. But I had to use my own leg money for it, and the military was supposed to reimburse me. And this was like nine months later. So so he goes like, well, you know, there's a whole process involved, Corporal, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm all like, um, you're, you're full of shit, sir. That's what I said to him. <laughs> you're full of shit, sir. I guarantee you it's on your desk. You know, all it needs is your goddamn signature. So where's my reimbursement? And uh, and so that's when his RSM started gunning towards me. <laughs> and at the same time, I, this will probably be the you know few times in my adult life where I will be grateful that my mother was with me. <laughs> my mom, in her fine fashion, because she's she's British and bitter, she's she's really good at jacking people up. Um, she stood in front, in between me and the RSM. Oh my God. So jacking up the CEO and basically calling him out on a shit about him leaving my fucking, uh, reimbursement on his desk. And then my mom is jacking up his RSM and she's, she's yelling at him. She goes like, she goes like, now you may think you own, you, you may think you own my son and you probably do at this point, but you don't own me. If you keep screwing, screwing him around. I'm going to go to the fucking media, right? <laughs> so, and then after that, you know, the CL left, right? It kind of was like, whoa, it kinda, I think he kind of got flustered and it just, he just left, right? And then uh, within a half hour, I had my wheelchair reimbursement for 10 grand. <laughs> Imagine that. It yeah. really was just sitting on his desk waiting to get done. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are they going to do? Take away your birthday? You know, I mean, you're sitting, you're sitting there with a the leg gone. You know, well, that, that, that must have like when you lost a leg, you must have grown an extra ball. <laughs> like, why, why would you give a fuck after that? Well, that's just it. I, I, I have no give. I had no give a fuck factor afterwards. <laughs> I knew my career was ending. 
you know, I think at that point in time, I was trying to talk like my case manager, like my injury case manager in the military to, to let me go back to school and become a military nurse. And they just kind of told me to pound salt because I preach universality of service. So what's that, you know, what's universality of service. So the universality of service, because everybody in the military and you'll laugh at this one, everybody in the military, no matter what trade you are, no matter what element, your first number one job has to be a rifleman. Well, that's how it used to be anyway. Um, that's why basic training was basic training. I think they've scrapped that now. Oh, have they scrapped it now? I, I don't so. know. That's how it was when I was in. Yeah. You know, so because because I, I, I couldn't really necessarily be combative, you know, even though I could probably rock a defensive position pretty well. Sure. You know, they uh, I breached universality of service. And this, this whole weekend thing, actually, this kind of plays it nicely because this kind of rolls into why I jacked up the CDS. So this whole weekend is that, that whole weekend during the army run in 2012, that's when we found out that the military was starting to release wounded guys from Afghanistan. You know, they, they declared that we're fully pulled out by 2014. You know, the, the end of war process was starting, right? So, you know, I was kind of hurt by it. You know, I love the military. I wanted to stay in as much as possible, you know, but there's that other side of me too that joined to be a grunt. So, yeah. you know, it was, it was one of those bittersweet type things, but I wasn't ready to go yet at that point in time. So anyway, so the army runs the next day and I'm, you know, doing my hobbling along on the 5k on my one leg, hobbling around, being a dude and, uh, wanting the tin chuck who was the CDS at the time, comes running up, who is now the Deputy Veterans Affairs Minister, you know, comes up running next to me. And he goes, he goes like, ah, oh, Corporal Blaschek, how you doing? And I, and he's kind of keeping a low profile because this was kind of when he got in shit about flying his family to Jamaica using using military aircraft for, for, for Christmas. Oh, God. So, He's kind of keeping a low profile, right? But, like, I, I, I kind of, like, sharply looked over at him, and I was there, not too fucking bad, sir. Nice to know I always have a fucking job in the military. And then you just kind of see him, like, with this blank face of, uh, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was so, the only one that's jacked up a colonel. Guess not. <laughs> I was a no-hook private with both legs at the time, so I had a lot to lose. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, DB. I knew they weren't going to send me to DB, so it was game on. <laughs> <laughs> you're not putting me in jail, so you're good. Yeah. Oh, frick. So yeah, that was that was the highlight of my career, the 2012 Ottawa Army Run. I think it was 2012, 2011, one of those ones. <laughs> Are you going to do a podcast yourself? I don't know if I want to. I know I've been asked. There's been a couple of us that have talked about it. You know, but I don't know. I just, I don't really like being up in the forefront. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not really a per. I don't want things to be about me. Yeah. Um, that's, that's probably the big part of it. I really don't want things to be about me. Well, they don't, they don't have to be like, uh, like with this one, uh, you rarely see my face on any of the advertising. It's it's all the mission, you know. Oh, and and I get it, you know, and and, and you know everybody finds the way. But I just, I think I'm just kind of, 
you know, I'm on the verge. I'm trying to figure out to find some farm property and just kind of live my life a little peacefully and quiet type thing, you know. For sure. Uh, and if I do things on the front line, like I'm a front line guy, man. I'm a grunt, you know. I like I like being on the front lines. I like having those interpersonal relationships with people when it comes to peer and peer. I feel it's more sincere at that point. You still doing any shooting? I'm actually, unlike most infantry guys, I never really was a big gun dude. You know, like I, I have like a few a few rifles. You know, nothing too crazy. You know, I have a hunting rifle and a twenty two, and that's about it. Do you hunt? Um. I do enjoy shooting. I do enjoy long distance shooting, but you know, I get, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff with the peer support stuff. Um, I have a service dog that I'm working with this summer, hopefully getting him certified by the end of the summer here, you know, so working with operation freedom pause there, uh, Vancouver Island, which, you know, I think they're, they're the best one in the country as far as I'm concerned, you know? Um, but yeah, it's just, I'm kind of in that weird stage because. Do you have a service dog yourself? Yeah, this is yeah. This he, he's the one I'm I'm currently working on, so he's going to be mine. Um, he's pretty pretty well behaved dog. It's a little surreal having such a well behaved dog. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I just I'm kind of in that weird phase of trying to figure out what I want. You know, from being 18, you know, which was joining the army was. I, I sent my application in on my 18th birthday. It was the, my first adult decision ever. Yeah. You know, so, and I was in cadets before that, you know, so I wanted to, I never really was the kid to were rebel you, out. Were you in Army cadets like, or was it PPCLI cadets? They were Lord Strats. Lord Strats, <laughs> armored cadets. Anchor. That's what I'm like. I'm way too big for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I won't fit down the hole. Yeah. Yeah, no, oh, like I was already like over six foot by the time I was sixteen. So you know, it was I knew I knew right there I don't want to be stuck in armored, you know. But um, yeah, it's just that weird phase of just what does Brock want, right? You know, because I've always been kind of in a way told told what I wanted, right? You know, I grew up in a Mormon household. They weren't overly religious, thank God, like my uncles. But, you know, it was still, there were certain things expected, right? Yeah. You know, and it, um, you know, so it's just, for really, I think for the first time in my life, this is the point where it's like, where it's, I got to kind of figure out just what Brock wants. So, yeah. Will you reconsider going into politics or no? No. No, it's. It's gross. It's so gross. It's like, I, I, especially the way it turned into, like, if this was the 1980s, fuck yeah. This was the 1980s where you could call out anybody and it didn't matter where it was about serving the people and not your party. 100%. You know, but, you know, today's day and age is about serving the party where I'm more of a leader. I believe, I believe leaders should be serving their people, you know, and it just, you know, until, until the world realizes that again, it's, I don't, I don't see what's the point of beating my head against the wall for. 
Have you had any interaction with the Royal Canadian Legion and what's your opinion of them as an organization? I think they failed immensely, especially when it came to the Afghani veterans. You know, there's there's a huge reason why young vets aren't joining the 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 PBCLI associations, the legions, you know, the artillery associations, whatever trade association. You know, I think you know, especially when things kind of turn around for 2006 for a lot of guys, and we switched that lump sum payment, and the Legion green lighted it. You know, a lot of guys felt pretty betrayed by that. You know, a lot of us felt that you know the Legion was like our version of the Union, right? You know, if the government was going to screw us around, it was going to be the Legion that would sort it out, but they didn't. You know. Well, it's sort of a death spiral because our biggest complaint about the Legion that I always hear is that there's uh, not enough veterans on the boards. There's mostly civilian run. And, yeah. uh, but we're not stepping up to be on those boards, so what else are they going to do to fill those gaps? Yeah, but when you got guys that walk into Legions that are still serving in uniforms and you have these civilian members coming up telling them to get out because they're not a member of that Legion, you know... That's 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 really how I see it. I see it as, you know, our our house. The Legion was supposed to be our house, and it got taken over. It got taken over by people that, you know, want to look fancy and feel like they're doing something, you know, and just, just in it for themselves. What do you think you of know? Legion medals? I don't think they should really exist, to be honest. You know, I, I, think, I think it's... I think that's part of the problem. I think that's a lot of these civilians, you know, it's that's that probably what's enticing them. Well, they don't, most people don't know what medals on the right mean, which is basically nothing. They're for congeniality. Yeah. But uh, say, well, our service to Legion should be recognized. Okay. But not with a fucking medal. Yeah. That looks just yeah. like a service medal. And our badges like the scouts, man. <laughs> yeah, you want to be a scout leader, that's cool. But yeah. uh, find another way. Oh, yeah. No, the um, people don't know what the medals are, typically. I was at yeah. a Remembrance Day ceremony, oh, God, years ago. Got my two little gongs on the left, and uh, one of the town councillors came up to me and asked, Oh, are those your grandpa's medals? I was like, no. Yeah. No, those would be mine. Started 80 years old, just 80 years old, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've gotten that too. You know, a lot of people would be, you know, I haven't necessarily had quite the same thing, but a lot of people just surprised that I'm a veteran. Yeah, you're too, you're too young you know, to be a veteran. Handicap. Parking handicap, that's one. That's 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 a big one. A lot of people give me grief for parking and handicap until I pull up my pant leg and yeah. But like yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people feel really stupid. I, I think my wife actually got pulled over by a cop one time. She didn't park in handicap taken at all. She was driving my truck around, right? She didn't park in handicap parking or anything like that. The cop just pulled her over and it was like, Well, you look a little young for having a handicap sticker and she kinda sharply looked over at him and she kinda goes she goes, yeah, my, my husband, my husband was, uh, was a little young to lose his leg in Afghanistan. So the guy kind of went, uh, you know. Pulled you over because just maybe you shouldn't have that sticker on your plate. Yeah, yeah. Unfreaking believable. 
is, oh, there, yeah. is there any saving the Legion? Is there, is there anything that they can do to uh, revamp and, and turn things around, do you think? I think if they found the right national president, the right national president that would look things at doing things what's right, you know, actually advocating for veterans, you know, that's the thing. They have to find the right national president that's willing to take it, it on. Is that elected or hired? I think they're hired. Or ele- elected, sorry. Well, if they're elected, shit, I'd run for that. Because Yeah, I think what, you have to serve as like a Legion branch executive for a couple of years or something like that for the requirements. The, but you just... You, and I, and I think it's paid position, too, because you're in Ottawa and everything. So, And that's yeah. that's the purpose, is to advocate the government for, for better things for veterans. And I don't, I don't feel they've done it. When the Legion first came to be, it was, uh, more than anything, uh, a place for veterans to get together. It was about brotherhood, you know, um, because... I mean, when people are get, getting back from the war, I don't know if it was World War One or World War Two when it was formed, but you come back from a world war, um, civil, you can't really deal with civilians because that was six years. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I did a six month tour and that changed me forever. Six well, years is unbelievable. They didn't know what we know about mental health now. Yeah, you know, and that's kind of why it became an old boys drinking club too, right? Because that's how people dealt with it back then. That's exactly it. And yeah. uh, and that just doesn't work anymore. One, it's no. like you said, it's not our house anymore. You know, well, I, I've been to, I've been told to watch my language in a in a legion, and they got swear jars at the legion, and uh, it's like, well, that's not our house. That's no. that's not that's not our home. If uh, there's a flipping swear jar, yeah, you know. Well, that's why you have things like. You know, that's why you have things popping up like the Veterans Association Food Bank. You have all these little associations that are popping up, and, and that's what people are directing their energy towards, too. You know, because the Legion and the associations and all of that that was already in place before our time of service, you know, has failed to evolve. You know, and it fails to recognize the need to evolve. So unless they, they see that recognition and unless they, they see that they should be acting more of an advocacy group than an old drinking boys club, then, then yeah, I don't, I don't know if there'll be any hope for the Legion. These advocacy groups tend to end up being former colonels and whatnot. And uh, I think that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be privates and like former corp- salty corporals, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, put in some salty corporals, people that haven't been politicized or they're not, they're not careerists. Yeah, know? but people, people aren't going to listen to this regular corporal either. You know, a lot when it, and I hate to say it, you know, there's a lot of weight that comes with that rank when you have it. You know, when you could say you're a retired colonel or retired major, you know, but they're you know, the ones, just, they're the and, ones and, and that are the most disconnected from the troops, though. Like, like from well, the, from the actual not experience. Necessarily all of them. Well, no, you know, not all of them. Really good guys. Like, I think Major Mark Campbell would be an excellent person in some position like that. Yeah. You know, you know. The unfortunate thing is that he got burned out with Aquitas Society, right? You know, he was one of the, one of those majors that had the guys, had the rank, you know, and knew and knew that you know, guys of a lesser rank than him had it worse, you know, and he was willing to speak out about it, but, you know, it just, the way the world goes, right? What's next for you, or do you know? You're still trying to figure out Brock. 
still trying to figure out Brock, man. You know, um, like I said, I like I like doing the front line stuff with the food bank. Um, you know, I'm hoping to see it grow and, and develop into something further. You know, we, we especially here in Edmonton, we got a lot of really great things happening. Um, peer support. You know, I, I like to use it as also a networking thing. I like to get it, use it to get information out on different healing retreats or, or things like Campraxis or different therapies out there like ketamine therapy that's coming, uh, psilocybin therapy that's coming, right? You know, I like to get that information out there to people. And that's all on the show, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Um, yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, getting guys out together, getting guys connected with their veteran-owned businesses, right? You know, and it's all just, I, I, I find the Veteran Food Bank is just all kinds of stuff. We even have a program where we link up with another group that does kind of um, helping, helping the homeless. And we send a couple veterans with them to kind of keep track of seeing if we can find any other vets and stuff like that. If they're ready to come off the streets, because some guys aren't ready to come off the streets, so if they're not ready to come off the streets, we go into risk reduction. You know, making sure that they're getting insurers and stuff like that. You know, we hook people up with cannabis scripts. You know, we, we connect them with the right people for that. You know, so it's just kind of like one of those things that kind of is a one-stop shop to kind of help, kind of help point people in the right direction because most think, people are lost when they get out. I think most people would be surprised to find out that at uh, the OSI clinics, so any of the Veterans Affairs approved places will not provide a cannabis prescription. Uh, my family doctor wouldn't do it. Uh, I had to go yeah. to a medical cannabis clinic who had, you know, uh, the doctor that shows up on Thursdays that is happy yeah. to do the scripts. Yeah. So even that is uh, something that just doesn't happen a lot. No. No, and that's just it. You know, it's kind of, you know, so with, with, with that, we, we, we help connect people with the right people. You know, because at the end of the day, it's about helping and helping each other achieve their greatest selves. That's it, brother. Well, thank you for everything you're continuing to do for the veteran community and for making the time to be on the show. And, oh, uh, of course, bro. Uh, Brother, it is so good to connect with you and have this conversation, and we've got a lot more to talk about. So you let me know if there's any veterans events or whatever that you want to uh, promote. We'll get you back on here, and we'll talk about it, all right? Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, brother. All right. Thank all right. You. And Thanks you... for having me on as well. I really, you know, this is, like I said, man, you're doing a really good initiative, and, and you're getting a lot of, lot of info to people that, that's needed. Thanks, so. brother. Please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. 
the help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.